What is up and welcome back to Zen Business, the show that studies health and mindfulness habits that ultra high performers use to reach the top of their industry and their craft. I'm your host, Jonathan Maxim, Managing Director at K&J Growth Hackers and founder of five digital companies. We've grown these companies to great levels and created an exciting and fulfilling life for our team members, but the truth is it was much more challenging than we ever could have imagined. All right, now let's jump in. Well, what is up and welcome back to Zen Business. I'm so stoked to have with me today, Dr. John Sahakian. You're a doctor, right? I'm not a doctor. Close enough. You're my doctor. I'm not not an MD. I'm I'm a person here to help with a little bit of training. And you've helped me quite a bit along the way, John. So I'm I'm really pumped to, to dig in. I think every time I get on the phone with you, I want to record it and turn it into content, which sounds completely commercial and <laughs> sounds like exploitation, but really it's just, it's just, you have so many amazing things to say. And I'm, um, I'm always, you know, you've leave me with a lot of thoughtful questions, awarenesses, you know, things to, to take away every time. So I wanted to just get you on the show and let you take the reins a little bit. And the topic that I really want to explore today, and this is something that I've got a lot of personal interest in, and I think a lot of the people do too, which is uh, discovering and uncovering and recovering from traumas. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I'd like to let this be pretty free, free flow. So if you could just, you know, jump right in and tell me, like, how do you define traumas? What are some of the common traumas that you've seen along the way? Just, you know, give us a yeah. little background. Well, think first so that it's authentic, as you uh, said before, is to kind of acknowledge that all of us have experienced trauma to one degree or another. You know, I like to think that my 14-year-old is, (laughs) I think he's living a curated life because my wife and I have learned so much from our own parents, for better or for worse. And there's a lot of helpful information out there if at the very minimum there's more consciousness, more awareness. So, you know, unintentionally traumatizing your child, you know, I don't know what the statistics are offhand, but I know from my own experience, I have worked and my wife has worked to uh, transcend her past and for me to transcend my past. Uh, In other words, I've experienced trauma. So I don't want to perpetuate some of those patterns. And trauma can be anything. It, It can be witnessing an argument between your parents when they're about to get divorced. It can be coming for the form of shame. That's a really big one that we want to avoid. Uh, we don't want to shame people, let alone our children. And there's other trauma. A car accident is, is traumatic. Uh, this, uh, the situation that we're in right now um, is traumatic. And many of us are already beginning the, the healing process from dealing with a pandemic. I feel myself every day working to take care of myself, to uh, reframe things, uh, to 
uh, look in the, into the deeper meaning of things. But to answer the question directly, trauma is anything that uh, throws, uh, throws us off our emotional center. And we're going to continue to experience things that are traumatic, but as we mature, we develop resilience. And uh, uh, our level of resilience you know, would be based in part on uh, information that we gather, our, our education around um, how we have a choice between, and I like to talk about this, between stimulus and response, <laughs> you know, from the, from the famous quote from Viktor Frankl, you know, between stimulus and a response, there is a space, and that space is our power to choose our response, and our response lies our growth and our freedom. So that's kind of my starting point. Uh, I guess you could say it's, it's sort of a, a part of the empowerment movement, but it feels true to me. So that, that's where I come from. So really, these traumas can come from anything, conscious or unconscious, is kind of what I'm gathering. And it's, it reminds me of an Alan Watts, like one of his narratives where he talks about the waves do not guide the ship or like the, the wake does not guide the ship, right? So these are things that are behind us that could potentially be steering us if we're not conscious and aware of it. Yeah. And I think, I think that's the biggest issue that we, that among me and my friends uh, I've seen is that we are not, we're not aware that we're being guided by past insecurities, defenses, traumas, stuff that like, we're trying to prevent from happening again. So we subconsciously take a habitual action, which is not ultimately in our favor and our best expression of ourself. So like, you know, when it comes to somebody who doesn't know why, you know, their life is so hard or why they keep running into challenges, how do they begin to undercover the part of their history that is causing these things to happen? Meaning like, Every, everything that happens in our life is a result of something that we've done. So how, how do we get to what those causes are and uncovering that? Well, I, I think it, it starts, it always starts with us. So our relationship with the world begins with our relationship with ourselves. And I know that is sort of cliche, but uh, cliches are cliches because, <laughs> you know, why? <laughs> because they're true. <laughs> yeah. So and they, they happen over and over and over again, and, and uh, they become cliches. Been there, done that, heard that, you know. Um, but it starts with us. And as you were speculating here and posing the question, of course, I thought about ego. You know, all day long, we can speculate what that is exactly. And, and you know, the best of the best can't define, I mean, they can attempt to define it, but it's still an elusive, illusory, you know, thing. It's, it's, uh, the closest we can sort of get is, you know, ego consciousness, like I'm awake right now. I have a sense of myself, John Sahakian, and uh, my sense of myself is fed by all of my experience, some of which I can remember, some of which I can't some of which I've suppressed or denied, which is a whole other sort of topic. And that sort of informs 
who I am right now and, and whoever I believe I am right now, I'm going to respond uh, accordingly, according to that. And the ego, I think, must be softened for us to change those patterns that, so when life keeps presenting us with similar scenarios, we figure out how we might respond differently to those scenarios. And I think that's an action of softening the ego. And, And I think of relationship, and that's a context we've explored, where people are different. You have different preferences than I have. There might be some that are similar, but if we come to a point where we think fundamentally different about something because of our differing past experiences and the information that we're drawing from, both conscious and unconscious, in order for us to get along, to be aligned, we have to soften. And, and it doesn't have to be that term, soften, but I think that describes it, less rigid. So it starts, yeah, it starts with that. It's, it's, and, and that's really sort of describes the fundamental issue of all suffering or dynamic of all suffering, which is identification with whatever it is. You know, with a particular point of view, with a, a, a preference, with ourselves. If I didn't pick up on your cues, facial expressions, whatnot, and I identified too strongly with the side of me that wants everyone to hear what I have to say, because there's definitely that side. You've got that side too, you know. Oh, here's what I think. If I didn't soften, then we wouldn't have good relationship here. So I'm, I'm going to pay attention to those cues and I'm going to fade out. And then you're going to talk. You know, it, it's like, it's very sort of logical in a sense. Yes. Yeah, so t- tying into that logical thinking, I, in order to make this tangible for listeners, the ego is basically, it's like a painting that we have of ourself, right? This is who we think we are. And how we relate to that or how a trauma affects our perception of self versus ego. So like, you know, how directly are these connected? If somebody insults me, then I say, I'm not the type to take shit, which is not aligned. My my ego is, I don't take shit. So when somebody says some shit to me, then I'm inclined to get defensive. Yeah, that's a great way of describing it, sure. So you're, you're proposing that we can uh, have a more flexible relationship with this definition of who we think we right. are, who we've, you know, over the years, these data points have gathered and created this personality. Right, um, right. But I think th- one of the biggest fears that people have is, is losing themselves. And that's why they cling to ego so much because it's like, well, this is who I am. I'm not going not gonna to take any bullshit. So like, how do we, what's that nuanced difference between not being attached to this sense of self while still maintaining and expressing our, our, our best, you know, personality? That's a, that's a great question, John. And the first thing that comes to mind, just because it's been 
sort of in the air lately is psilocybin and, and, and LSD and other uh, substances that, that without a doubt can soften the ego. Now, I'm not necessarily a proponent of that, so I'm not bringing, up, bringing it up to support it. I'm not against it. It all depends. There are you know, deeper forms of meditation, which I've been a part of that, that, and experienced, that mimic these states of being where you recognize that you're always safe, that you're connected to everyone. You know, some of these very esoteric ideas that, you know, we're all one, that I love you and, and you love me and it's all good. You know, this, this sort of fantasy world. There's a reality to that. As you describe, you know, if, if you, you know, if somebody pisses you off and you unconsciously identify with that part of you that, you know, needs to stand up and fight back directly rather than in, in a creative way, say, you know, I don't have to be that person and a more functional way to respond to this situation would be to say this or that or some other creative, you know, I'm not saying run or uh, avoid it. Uh, that might also be an unconscious thing. You can always kind of boil our reactions down to what the body does. You know, you either uh, fight, you flee, or you freeze. And there is a psychological, you know, parallel or correlate to that physically. Uh, because we're a nervous system first as an embodied form, you know, of course, <laughs> you know what I mean when I say that. It's like, we're a spirit first, you know, and, and, and bringing it to that idea about spirit, it's like, you know, is the spirit a personality? Is the spirit something that identifies with preferences and, and uh, how we have to have things? Is the spirit stubborn? I mean, I don't know, but I do know that with whatever your method is to soften the ego, Maybe you practice yoga a lot. And when you're in, you know, suffering, trying to do a yoga pose, you breathe through it. And even though the pose is still as physically demanding, you respond to it in a different way, softening. And what, what's that? It's a softening of who you think you are. A moment ago, you thought you were this tight, muscle-bound, you know, individual that can't <clears throat> be in this pose and now you're still a tight muscle bound individual but you're softening into it and then that begins to transcend the experience and the pose and you're not a muscle bound tight individual you're actually a yogi you know suddenly spontaneously um, and this this can happen all day long you can be driving down the street and I find this happening, I experience it, where somebody cuts in my lane or does a dumb move, you know, driving. I've been driving the streets of LA since I was 15 years old when I first stole my dad's car to go visit a girl. And in Topanga Canyon, you know, he thought I was going to a YMCA meeting. And uh, uh, so a lot, a lot of experience out on the road. 
And there's that part of me that identifies with the self that is a great driver and has been driving all these years. And if you cut me off, it's like, what the hell are you doing? But there's another part that is there that I can access that says, hey, they might be in a rush. What's going on for them? You know, this is, this is a compassionate understanding. This is a more mindful part. And when you identify with that part, your body likes it much better. You know, it's less stressful. So it, uh, it does come down to that sort of choice. We have that choice moment to moment to soften that ego. But then I can pick it up anytime. You know, I know I'm being John right now. And John's okay most of the time. <laughs> so I guess it tra translates to being comfortable with yourself, whatever self that might be. So we have the opportunity to respond differently when we realize that we are being triggered by a former trauma and we are given a choice of whether to fight, to flee, whatever. And if we take that choice, we have the opportunity to be a more authentic self. This is the logic I've picked up from you over mm -hmm. this, you know, mm -hmm. last few minutes of your talking. I tell this to my team a lot, especially my partner. You don't always have to be nice, but you do have to be honest, right? You do have to be authentic because it, it kind of makes no sense to forgive somebody who's done something that offended you, but you can still approach it in a smart and caring way. So when you have that moment of awareness before you react, you can approach it in a calm way, but still say the honest fact of this was due yesterday or you cut me off and that really didn't feel good. But instead of latching onto this, I'm a tough guy, I'm gonna beat my chest ego that I might have, it's what are the facts here? I'm upset and you did something that upset me. So you can like literally boil it down to just that, say, look, I didn't appreciate when you cut me off in the car. I'm not pissed about it, but I thought you should know. And I think being authentic is more important than anything else. Even if somebody else's feeling have to get hurt, it's, it's more important that, in my opinion, that we express ourselves truthfully. And that can be done mindfully, even if there's conflict involved. I don't, I don't think it means necessarily avoiding conflicts but instead not becoming defensive in the face of that conflict and not having a bunch of identities that we're trying to defend to overpower the other person or to get what we want out of personal interest or out of fear. Yeah, that is well put. Everybody, I think, has a different level of whether they're comfortable with expressing themselves authentically. And that's a very, that's a, gray area because you might be expressing yourself, you're, you're always expressing yourself authentically according to the program that's running. <laughs> you know, where you're getting the data from, where you get, you're getting the information from. And if you've done a lot of work around self-actualization uh, or self-realization, you know you're aware of some of your own pitfalls, some of your own trigger points, and, and you're aware of some of those things. And I, I think the goal might be to get to a place 
where you're able to see into the true nature of things. So when you are confronted, the truest nature. Yeah, when you are confronted, if you're confronted with a challenge that is seemingly threatening, you know how to navigate that in a calm way. And it's because people aren't put off by someone communicating in a calm way. They're put off by someone communicating in an irrational, it might be irrational to them, an irrational, you know, uh, domineering, condescending, subordinating, mean way or inconsiderate way. So it's just depends on how tied up we are with our feelings, how much we identify with our feelings. And you've got two people's feelings. You've got how you're reacting to your own perception of self and how the other person is projecting their fear of self on you when you say something mean or pointed. A person who's easy to be around is someone that is like the conversation we're having right now. It's, it's free-flowing. It's, it's considerate. It honors the other person and it also honors yourself. But the question is, what self are you honoring? Are you honoring a self that is being controlled by these traumas? Or are you honoring a self that knows they're not their trauma? So this is why you always say best self. And that makes sense. Yeah. Because we have degrees of self. Your highest self. I like that in a sense. Although I don't like the idea of making something higher or lower then, but the highest self people can relate to that. It's like I have high ideals or, and it all depends on the context. I was talking about my 14 year old. It's like, I must identify with being a dad because there are things that would otherwise uh, sort of get skipped over as a 14 year old develops you know, discipline is important. Well, how do you instill discipline in a person if there aren't rules, if there aren't guidelines? But you, you have to work to lovingly create those guidelines or rules and, and then be supportive of those by example and uh, other, you know, uh, creative ways. But it can come off sometimes as rigid and it's like going to a, you, a 10-day meditation, silent meditation retreat. You know, if you've experienced one in an old school style, it's like the teachers can be very mean, <laughs> you know, it's like, but you know, they're not mean. I mean, they might be, but they're putting you in a situation so that you can let go of yourself. And it, it's all about that. It's like, let me get more comfortable with letting go of myself. That's why I brought up, you know, uh, psilocybin or LSD, you know, deeper states of meditation, because it does help us let go of ourselves while maintaining a sense of awareness and embodying a sense of awareness of what is. Do you think they should be legal? Uh, that's a big can of worms. I don't, <laughs> I don't I know. know. Yeah. Question. I mean, I, I guess the fact that if, if it's illegal, that kind of keeps 
people that maybe aren't equipped necessarily. I mean, everyone's going to do what they're going to do, but you know, if it's, if it's more prevalent people who aren't equipped to sort of handle it or, or be guided in a, in a proper way might get themselves in trouble or have a bad trip. Yeah. It's like wielding a big sword. So I want to go back to this concept of traumas a little bit more. Cause I, here's, here's my question. One, do you think traumas are passed on from generations at a spiritual level? I think they're passed on at, at a psychological level. Because spirit, if we talk about spirit, and there's a lot written about this and, and talked about, spirit is secure. Spirit is all-knowing. Spirit is flexible. Spirit, spirit is, let's just say, spirit is mindful. So what's passed on is the psychology, is the energy mm. of that. It's you know, I, I have a, a brother who's 16 years my senior, and we have a very close, loving relationship. It hasn't always been that way. I, I really didn't sort of consciously meet him until I was like 10 or 11 years old. He had held me as a baby, but then since we uh, had the same father but different mothers, he lived his life. So it's like I didn't grow up with a brother. But by the time I was about 16, because he surfed and I was surfing, we connected in this way. And he was never raised by our father. Yet, he reminds me so much of our father. Part of that is how he looks, the gray hair, you know, just like as I gain more gray hair, I, I remind myself of my dad. But he has some similar, in my opinion, psychological tendencies or propensities as my father, as our father had, as do I. And he recognizes them in me. And my wife recognizes them in me because she knew my dad. And it's, it's more than just a facial expression or, you know, it's some of the more deeper and I think in my case, in, in my brother's case, he's, he's not here to defend himself, but, you know, there can be a certain sort of an effort to prove myself is something I've had to heal from. Like, I don't feel the need anymore. I don't feel that energy pushing up from inside of me that says, I, I got to prove that I'm of worth right now. It may be happening. I'm not aware of it, but I don't feel that push. And I, I upon reflection, my, I, I know my dad felt that push. I recognize it in others, of course, that I've worked with, that sort of quality. And I recognize it because I have experienced that. It's, it's that it comes from that lack of self-worth. Somewhere along the line, there was a trauma or several traumas that said, you're shit. You're not going to, going to amount to shit. Give up now. Yeah, you don't, you don't. Doesn't matter that you're you know, 13, give up now. That's traumatic. And that causes a wound. And then an opportunity comes along where you recognize that wound and you begin to heal from it and you begin to transcend it. And that energy then 
ends up fueling more life-affirming endeavors. So if there's traumas that we don't recall, that we're not aware of, maybe memories lost or things that happened before we could remember or whatever, how could we possibly ever address them all? Which brings me to the question, do we need to address them all or do we just need a toolkit for living a, a simple and happy life, aka learning to create space between action and reaction? I think that our experience in life, everyday life, can inform us on what needs to be healed or not. It, it, it comes up. And when we're ready, life presents us with opportunities to address these things. Uh, if we're not triggered, if you can live your life for the next week and be happy, loving, productive, peaceful, and on an inward level, not feel guilty, not feel shame, not experience any other negative emotions that sort of uh, get in the way of a joyful experience. If you can live that way for the next week, hey, you know, maybe you don't need to address anything. But how much of a reality is that? It's like I was going to post the other day and then I just thought it instead of posting it. Uh, <laughs> which was, I think that's a good idea sometimes. It's easy to meditate when everything's going great. You know, it's, it's easy to connect with, our, with ourselves and, and be peaceful when everything's going great. But how about when everything isn't going great? Are, are we able to connect with ourselves then and be peaceful? Uh, so life's going to tell you where you are. And there are plenty of opportunities for that. Uh, the more we're in the world, but we don't have to be. I mean, you can have the dark night of the soul at home without confronting the world. Uh, the shadow is out there as much as, and projected out there as much as it's in here. So really it sounds, and I hate to make this all quantifiable, but it helps me understand it. That it sounds like an 80-20, right? Like take the 20% of traumas that are causing 80% of your pain and figure them out. Again, like you said, some of this is subconscious though. We don't know that we're reacting in a certain way because, you know, the wake is steering the ship in some way or another. Now I think about, I, I see this a lot in romantic relationships, like boyfriend, girlfriend type of relationships. It's like somebody does something and it's like, I don't deserve this. And that's, I used to think it was, oh, I have high standards. When now I look back and realize that was me having a certain ego and image of myself that is, you know, certain stuff's okay and certain stuff's not. But in practicality, it's like, okay, maybe that wasn't that big of a deal. Maybe I'm just getting defensive because I have a big ego around this or I have to be the alpha or whatever it is. So, you know, with that kind of context, I think we often have behaviors that we haven't identified the root of. You know, I'm, I'm curious, like, how do we dig that stuff up? I mean, there's people that I know who talk about uh, sexual abuse as a kid, verbal and, and, you know, physical abuse as a kid, or, you know, certain traumas like getting in fights or, you know, not having all of the essentials for life and, and not having their needs met and things like that. So like, how do we, how do we go in there and, and figure out which of the ones are really doing damage? Like, how, how do we get at that? Is that through 
maybe a psychedelic journey or journaling or talking to somebody like you? Like, how do we get to that deep, deep stuff? Because I think a lot of people have traumas that are far buried and far forgotten. So naturally, conventional psychotherapy uh, is, is helpful. Conventional talk therapy is helpful because you know that just on a practical level, level, having a conversation, starting a dialogue about what's happening in your life right now, how it's connected to what has happened in your life in the past, that can lead to a cathartic experience and a, a releasing of that energy. Realization. It, it leads to self-realization. For some, though, that can be a long, long, drawn-out process. You know, you can be in therapy for 25 years, and it may be therapeutic on a weekly basis for sure. You're, you're likely getting your money's worth because it's therapeutic. But, yes, there are, there are other ways to, I, I hate to use the word expedite, but it, it depends on you. There are different ways. Yes, there are reports that psychedelics can wake you up because they give you a glimpse into uh, another reality that enables you to see more into the true nature of things or the alleged true nature of things. Because, I mean, we don't know. But as we've talked about, that softens the ego. So great. There are other journeys one can experience. Walk the, the Camino, through, through Spain and, and end up on the coast uh, of France. Yeah, I that sounds awesome. Uh, it is, like many people, this, this journey that's been happening for many years where you find yourself along the way through the challenges that you face, and it's a concentrated experience, not unlike you know, retreats that, that challenge you. There, has been, there have been stories uh, of self-help gurus, you know, self-proclaimed self-help group gurus pushing people to a, a point where they break. And when they break, psychologically speaking, something in them opens up. Sometimes that can be harmful. Anything can be harmful. You know, you could uh, hurt yourself on the Camino walk. So there are different methods. My approach is, I think, rooted more in it's solution-based, leveraging suggestibility so that you see things from a different perspective and then take that. You could say, if I, if I suggested to you, hey, you should drive to uh, the Mexican border and back. You know, you'd be like, oh man, that's a long drive. I don't feel like doing that right now. It's, you know, it's two o'clock in the afternoon or three o'clock in the afternoon. I'm going to hit traffic. It's going to take forever by the time I, but then if I say, yeah, but along the way, you know, you can stop at the mission and you can go and look at the flowers blooming and maybe you could take your surfboard and, and go surf this spot called San Onofre and then there's this great restaurant that you should go to and like, oh, there might be a lot of fun things to do on the way. And it won't be so bad. And, and your perspective shifts. So your journey is different now. So it just depends. It depends. And some people, depending on their suggestibility, they're drawn to more of a, a longer format of self-realization. Others uh, are very, you know, 
inwardly driven. So they sit every day and meditate. And okay, I'm going to sit with all these voices in my head right now for 45 minutes. And as things arise, I'll take note and keep coming back to what I feel is my true self. And that you can develop authenticity that way. It's whatever it is. I think the Buddha <laughs> had it right. And it, it, it almost seems ridiculous to, to say that because it's, it's too obvious. Dukkha, the, the word for suffering uh, in Sanskrit, is a reality for most of us. We learn through making mistakes. There's a quote I shared with, with a few people today from uh, Light Watkins, a meditation teacher. You might, might know him. Great person, inspiring person. And he wrote, today, some of us will make big mistakes. Others of us will make small mistakes. Maybe because we were tired or rushed or not paying close enough attention. I've come to appreciate the beauty of mistakes. They give us glorious opportunities to admit our humanity to recognize when we're trying to do too much, to slow down, to ask for help. But most importantly, they allow us to become even more understanding of others who make innocent mistakes, which only increases our capacity to love. So it's like we're all a work in progress. And uh, that's why when I, when I do a guided meditation or something, I... I start with acceptance because the idea is to get to that place of, of awareness of what is, but I think even a big, big part of that is acceptance of what is. Uh, there's an, uh, a phrase I use, acceptance is the fuel that'll get us where we want to go. That can be a little difficult, depending on one's personality, to digest or metabolize because if we accept where we are and we want to go somewhere it's 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 hard it's hard to say okay no here i am this is but as with any project first we have to lay out what we've got before we figure out where or how to get to where we want to go and acceptance of of what's there is important. So in the process of digging in, as you called it, getting to the root of some of this stuff that controls our lives, that, that is the wake, we have to accept it. We have to say, oh yeah, this is, it's a coming to terms. And also noticing it. I want to expand on what you said around finding, essentially finding different modalities, right? Like each of us respond differently to different techniques and whether that's taking a long walk on the Camino or you know, whether that's going surfing or meditating, journaling, breath work, psychedelic journeys, hypnotherapy, whatever it is, I think the dynamism is important, right? Like having a different modality to extract and you know, it's all about uh, emoting feelings, right? So you're trying to get a different feeling out of something to, to get at the what's beneath. So I think, yeah, we do need to try different modalities if we're not overcoming our hurdles. One question that came up for me is, so if everything's going wrong in someone's life or in my life, is that, you know, 
the universe banging on our door and saying, here's a bunch of opportunities to learn lessons for shit that you haven't been listening for or that you haven't listened to historically? Well, I, I think that is a part of it, but you're also a part of it through you know, some of the dumb stuff that you do <laughs> through, through some of the, you know, the, the sort of uh, uh, where, where, your, where, where your values are, you know, and, and some people may have a misinformed value system. They make certain choices and they bump into walls because of those choices that they're making. I don't think, you know, this, this, there are deeper philosophical uh, nuances to human behavior, why we do things, what role the world, the environment actually plays in it. You know, if my neighbor's music is too loud, uh, is that the universe trying to teach me something? You know, maybe uh, it's possible, certainly, uh, or it's just something that's happening. And, and if I want my body to feel good, which is what my body wants, where I point my attention, which is allegedly my choice, that's going to determine how my body feels. That's why if my, if my neighbor's playing loud music or music that's disturbing to me, but I know my neighbor, like I know him, it doesn't bother me as much. But if I don't know my neighbor and it's someone new that just moved in next door, it bothers me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well roll. you know it's uh so i don't think it's it's any one thing i think it's all happening and it's all everything it's it's a it's a holographic it's universe where it's all yeah. woven together so let me take a thought experiment here i'm gonna go for a walk and this isn't to incriminate you or me in any way but i'm just i'd, I'd like to explore this thought process so I, I, I really like the quote, uh, life gives you exactly as much as responsibility as you can handle right now, right? So that's a way of saying like you're being taught lessons at the rate that you can learn them. And so when we look at it that way, it's like everything in our life is a result of something that we've done, aka everything is ultimately my responsibility. Even if I was born into a foster home and I lived on the street as a baby and whatever, Ultimately, the, the outcomes of my life will be determined by how I react to those circumstances, whether I was dealt a shitty hand or not. So with that frame of mind, when you see a homeless man begging on the street, do you look at that as this man has, has not responded to the things that he's been given uh, in the correct way and therefore he deserves this? Or do you say... Um, his circumstances are shit, and this is a product of that. Well, I don't say anything in that moment unless I'm asked the question, like you're asking me the question. It, it happened today. You know, I went surfing early this morning, and when I was changing out of my wetsuit, a homeless person came up behind me, and it actually startled me for a moment because, of course, I was looking at my phone to, to uh, see what I had missed. He was asking for money and I didn't have any cash on me. I had a couple of, you know, my ATM and debit card. And I said, I've got my ATM and debit card. I don't have any cash, but good luck. And I didn't make any judgment. 
I didn't uh, evaluate him, but a few moments later, I could smell the alcohol. I didn't smell it immediately. I could smell the alcohol. And as he walked away, I could see that, you know, he uh, hadn't had a, you know, proper, he, he was, he was dirty. He, he was, he'd been on the street, uh, unfortunately, and, and um, shat himself for sure. And uh, what I think of, what I, the processing that I do around that always is that man was somebody's little boy. And maybe I do that because I want to get closer to who he really is outside or behind or within this picture that he's presenting to me, this, this negative shell. I, I just, I look at that and I'm like, he was somebody's little boy. Like maybe he breastfed for a couple of months. Maybe he was coddled. Maybe, you know, maybe he got a little Tonka toy at his second birthday and was a sweet little boy. And, and now look at him. And that always sort of segues into a prayer or a reflection, you know, with an acknowledgement, but for the grace of God, there go I. Because I, you don't know, you don't know his circumstances. You don't know. I don't, I don't know. And, and perhaps he, obviously he has had challenges and obviously he hasn't necessarily responded in a healthy way to all of those challenges, but maybe he wasn't equipped to, maybe he didn't get, you know, but there's always opportunity, you know, at some point, maybe unless there's mental illness. Now the thing is, you don't know, there's likely mental illness. We, we can't assume that that you're dealing with someone who uh, isn't it, that someone that is chemically balanced, and that's that's a huge part of it. And of course, in this particular case, his chemistry was out of balance, exacerbated by alcohol for sure. Yeah. Doesn't alcohol, you know, cause an imbalance in our chemistry? Absolutely. And and when people are under the influence of alcohol, they do a lot of a lot of dumb things. It softens the ego. <laughs> But it's yeah. mis it's misdirected. Yeah, absolutely. It's just I, I find this example interesting because not because I'm trying to make any statements about the homelessness issue. I think that's a whole separate and political discussion that has a lot of tentacles. But I explore this because a lot of people I think our culture has become overly competitive and fed by a lot of insecurity and trauma. Right? We work hard because we got a chip on our shoulder, and that. People are willing to be martyrs for success, right? They're willing to forego uh, well-being in in light of success, which I'm definitely guilty of, right? And I think we all fear going broke because things are so damn competitive, right? And becoming that guy, right? Recently, I was driving and I saw a really attractive young woman who was homeless. And I was like, oh shit, that girl is probably like a few years separated from me. And here she is homeless, you know, beneath like a bridge on Robertson. And I think we all have that fear that, that shit is going to fall apart and we're going to go down that road. Now, on that same token, in general, of course, I think Tim Ferriss's fear setting exercise can bring a lot of uh, gravity and, and, and realism to, to how much that's not likely to happen uh, if anyone's interested in it. But on that note, like 
I've some of the most inspirational people that I've known have had crazy breakdowns like that, like gone to ground zero and back up. I was talking to a professional poker player recently who lost all of his fortune and literally built up like an eight figure empire, you know, 10 plus million in, in profit over two years. He, went, he was living on his mom's couch, went and started this sweepstakes company. And now he's, you know, making, he just got the company acquired for like, I don't know, I think it was like 60 million or something like that. And the dude was homeless before. Tony Robbins, raised in a drug household, single mom, basically living on the street. So there's a lot of cases where people do go down to to ground zero and and work their way right back up. And it unlocks this whole other side of their personality. Now, and I mean like unlocks is unleashes. And I know somebody personally who, I'm not going to say who, but somebody very close to me who was homeless for a long time. And normal dude, young dude. And he feels more empowered and he feels like he knows himself better than he ever has before. But he, I mean, it must've been on and off for like five plus years that he was homeless. So he, he had this experience and now he's been unleashed. So it's curious to me because it's like, if we don't respond in the right way, if we don't take the lessons life's trying to give us, then we'll be broken down and life will eventually bring us to our knees and say, you better humble. And maybe that's necessary. Or the other is, is we deal with these things on an active basis. We meditate, we journal, we surf, and we become complete humans. I think the biggest trouble is that even like, okay, for me, I did like four years of spiritual work before I would really say I got to a baseline where I was like happy with where I was at spiritually. Like I, I was like, okay, I think I've got a pretty good grasp on things now. And then like six months later, I felt like I, I didn't know how to meditate anymore. I couldn't get true focus. And I realized like, <laughs> you're never done because the traumas are always happening in your wake and they're always gonna try to guide the ship no matter mm -hmm. how good you are. And mm -hmm. I'm sure it happens to you too. And you're, you know, I would consider you a sage. So it's definitely a matter of identifying the really pointed painful traumas. If you have a, an issue that is com coming up regularly, like for me in relationships, as we've talked about, there's a lot of issues that are recurring that are rooted in deeper issues that I have, deeper identifications with self that that are causing me an outcome that I don't want. I don't even want to call it a bad outcome. It's just an outcome that I don't want. It's not the not the big picture vision that I'm looking for here. But the, you know, doing that across modalities, exploring through yoga. I find that psychedelic experiences and breath work have a very similar outcome, although breath work is much uh, more temporary. I'm talking about like moments versus hours, but when I'm doing yoga and say I'm doing pigeon pose and you know, you're over there telling me to take a deep breath, weird awarenesses come up. It's like things pop inside and like not in a, pot, in a bad way, just like, it's just like the click. And then I have awarenesses like, oh shit, I was angry at so-and-so. I was holding a grudge against my best friend about something he said last week and it only came out in pigeon pose. It didn't come out in journaling, didn't come out in meditation. So um, I think that's a, it's a pretty nice stopping point for this discussion. I'm sure you, you know, you've got commitments and I don't want to keep you longer than promised, but I could go forever on this. And I really appreciate all the insight that you shared with us, John. Um, so is there any like further remarks you want to, you want to leave listeners with before we close this off? Sure. I'd say create a, a safe space for yourself, literally and figuratively. 
pigeon pose is a safe space. It challenges you, but before you went into pigeon pose, you got everything sort of set up so that you could do pigeon pose. So if you have the awareness faculties, create a safe space for yourself. And that safe space might be seeing therapist, whatever kind, once a week. It, it might be uh, going on a retreat. It, it might be taking a walk. It might be going surfing. But do it with intention. And the intention is to, uh, from that safe space, to, uh, to soften, soften the ego so that you can see into the true nature of things. That'll help you understand yourself and, and others a little more. And, and as that continues to unfold, you'll find yourself having better relationships, feeling more joyful, because that's the whole idea, to experience more joy. It's all, it's all about joy, even if it's a moody joy. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for, for having me. My, my pleasure, John. Absolutely, John. This has been awesome. And, and once again, I really do appreciate you sharing so openly and, and going so deep. Just you know, for the disclosure of, of everyone listening, uh, I've worked with John for years now. Uh, I met him about two years ago as a yoga teacher and was just blown away by his, his sage-like presence and his ability to unlock uh, other people and, and really free their minds and their hearts. So um, I do recommend, you know, if you're interested in working with John, just do reach out uh, either on Instagram or I'll leave in the show notes uh, all of his contact information so you can set up time with him. But he does therapy, coaching, uh, you know, family therapy, that kind of thing. And uh, John, what's your handle on Instagram again, at John Sahakian? At John Sahakian. With that, like, how, how else can we support you? What's the best thing to do? Is it to download an ebook? Is it to call you up on the phone and schedule an appointment? Is it to follow you on Instagram? Yeah, Instagram's great. Uh, and you can, you can email me. You can go to threecircleflow.com. If you know anyone that's struggling in relationship, uh, anyone that needs to figure out how to respond to life's demands in a healthier way, look forward to hearing from you. Thank you so much, John. It's been awesome. Talk to you soon, buddy. All right. Bye.